There's no problem too big or small, no issue too hot or cold, and no subject these gentlemen won't talk about. Let's head into the lab to see what they're working to figure out today. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbach, and we've got an awesome show for you coming up. This week, Centauri and I were joined by Jay Corey, the president and CEO of the Phoenix Rescue Mission. We had a great conversation that went from the holistic approach they take in addressing each individual they serve who is facing homelessness in order to help them recover from life-controlling problems to their vocational skills training programs and how they work to help people become servant leaders who can eventually help others. The Rescue Mission has a lot of exciting things going on with the opening of their new restaurant, Mission Possible, on October the 2nd to the expansion of their men's recovery programs. I encourage you to set up a time to tour the facility, go to their website, learn all about the different ways that you can get involved at the Rescue Mission, and you can go to phoenixrescuemission.org, or you can also order cookies for yourself or as a gift for somebody else at giftcookies.com. You can also find them via numerous social media sites, which are listed in the show notes, and I Again, definitely encourage you to check it out and get involved. Thanks, as always, for listening. Feel free to give us a share on social media. That's enough about that. Let's go. Let's get into it and get down to it. Welcome to Figure It Out. This is George Grumbacher. Joining me, as always, is Centauri Minor. Hello, folks. Helping us move from awareness to action today is Jay Corey, the president and CEO of the Phoenix Rescue Mission. Welcome, sir. Welcome. Uh, well, thank you very much. I'm, I'm pleased to be uh, with you guys today. <laughs> Set the clock, Centauri. We've got 45 minutes to solve homelessness. Okay. <laughs> but before we do that, Centauri, do you often give money to people on the street when they ask for it? Um, hmm, that's a good question. Typically... No, I don't, mainly because I don't carry cash, mm. um, but I think that's really the only reason. I mean, if I have money, sure, but I never really think about to do it, yeah. Oh, fair enough. I saw on the website, Jay, that that's not necessarily good to do when people right. are, I don't know if panhandling is an impolite term, but when people are panhandling, it's not necessarily good to give them money. Why is that? Or, well, or is it? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't want to be too absolute with this, but truthfully, I think that uh, uh, if what you're really trying to do, and this is what I do, I do not give money to people on the streets that are asking at Panhandling. I basically give them a Phoenix Rescue Mission referral card, which basically entitles them to a free meal, shower, clothes, whatever, and actually they could call us and we'll even come pick them up. Uh, so if they're really truly, so it gets to the point of motivation. Uh, are they really wanting help or are they going to take your money and, you know, purchase alcohol or drugs or whatever? Uh, we know firsthand of people that actually live on the streets and support a full-blown heroin addiction. Uh, you know, panhandle until they get enough money to last for, through the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, have their campsite that they go to. Camp out for the night. Start all over again tomorrow. So I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to support that. There is still a word called enabling. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that you don't have love and compassion, uh, so I don't think it's loving to help support uh, habits that are harmful to people, uh, especially when you can provide them with a healthy option, healthy mm-hmm. alternative. Got it. And that information is on the website, so mm-hmm. I, I, I appreciate that. I always, 
I always like to put Centauri on the spot and hopefully, hopefully make him a comfortable little bit. No, that's okay. So, Jay, there's roughly speaking 25,000 people in Maricopa County that do not have a home. 35% of those folks are our families. Tell us a little bit about what you and Phoenix Rescue Mission are working on. I think that, uh, well, first of all, home, uh, homelessness or individuals that are facing homelessness is, is not a one-size-fits-all population, and they are people. And, uh, you know, there's a stereotype that can often go with that. And I think that we need to be very conscious that each person has his own case, his own story, his or her own story. And uh, so the approach is not universal. You know, here's, they all need a job, they all need a house, they all, whatever. Uh, so our personal philosophy is basically we want to engage people in, as individuals or family units or uh, couples or whatever we encounter. And uh, basically we want to engage them because uh, you go to an emergency room and the, you, you walk in and the nurse says, uh, send him to get a, uh, uh, a triple bypass. You know, that's probably not very good. You might want to take the pulse first and find your know, blood pressure and find out what the problem is. So I don't think that we have any kind of a preset, here's the, here's the uh, solution that fits everybody, because you are dealing with people that have addiction issues, uh, that need treatment, and they don't necessarily need to be in long-term housing, they just need to get healthy. And uh, you got people that are there for economic reasons, uh, you got people, a lot of people that are there with mental illness. So you have to have um, diverse solutions uh, we like, I like to call it a continuum of programming, uh, comprehensive continuum of programming to engage people with these different needs. And then uh, probably the greatest truth is it's not even as simple as I just described. I mean, you know, people, there is no such thing in my opinion today, somebody just has an addiction problem. I mean, it's an addiction, it's vocational, mm-hmm. it's, you know, probably life skills. I mean, all of these problems are complex. Uh, so I think it's extremely important to engage each individual uh, and do an assessment of the individual, find out where they're coming from, what their uh, obstacles are to, what is their def- definition of success? It might be different than yours. Mm-hmm. And what obstacles are in their path for them to experience the quality of life that they desire. And then uh, our job then is to, uh, we've de- designed many, but uh, we want to place them on the appropriate solution pathway that fits their situation. Uh, we call it Rescue Assess in Place. We've even created a rap unit <laughs> and a rap song, by the way. Um, but Rescue Assess in Place is get somebody that's drowning to a safe place uh, and then meet their basic needs, do an assessment to find out why they're in the situation and even what is their motivation. You know, I don't really want to get well. I just want to panhandle and support my heroin addiction. Well, I can have the best programs in the world, but if you don't want them, you know. Mm-hmm. And then place, you know, place them in the appropriate solution pathway that, that fits for them. So in the buckets that you mentioned, I know there are probably many more, but the categories that you specifically talked about were addiction, uh, the working poor, for lack of a better term, and then mental health. So walk us through some of the interventions that you have. For, so what does the programming look like for someone who's, um, battling addiction or someone that's just lost a job and they were evicted from an apartment. So what are the things that you're yeah, actually I think, doing? For I think you also understand that we view ourselves in within the framework of the greater community and the resources that are available mm-hmm. in the community to meet various needs. Our particular sweet spot 
our niche, which uh, I think that we are uh, best at. I don't want to say we're not good at all the things we do because I don't know if we're not good at them, but is 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 recovery is addiction recovery we call it recovery from life controlling problems i don't even call it addiction recovery anymore because you're not dealing with purely an addiction you're dealing with a person and you have to have holistic solutions and you're dealing if you help somebody to learn how to stay abstinent and maybe they're thriving in their recovery but they can't sustain themselves vocationally then they're going to fall flat on their face so it's a total person recovery program is kind of the concept that I'm painting, and that's what we provide. Uh, so our 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 uh, we have both short and long term residential recovery programs. Again, I want to be careful. I did not say addiction recovery only. It's recovery from life controlling problems. And there's three main components. Uh, one is we are definitely a Christian ministry. We don't apologize for that. So. Uh, we basically, we use a concept of uh, discipleship, Christian discipleship. We want to uh, help people to, to grow spiritually. Uh, then we have, we believe in a professional approach to recovery. Uh, so we have licensed professional counselors. We have interns from various academic institutions that are working on their master's or licensure. Uh, we mix it with recovery coaches. So we believe in a tra- well-trained professional a clinical team uh, because I think you need special skills to be able to get down under into so you, again addiction or life control you're usually a symptom of a greater problem a soul problem a trauma problem so we want to be able to so uh, Christian discipleship recovery from life controlling problems and vocational development uh, clients in our program here or in the counterpart program down at uh, uh, 35th Avenue our community solutions center for men um, you know, they will spend half of their day in a vocational development. I work therapy at the very beginning, soft skill development, you know, just beyond time, safety, don't mix ammonia and bleach, just, you know, basic uh, work site uh, type of things. But then we want to place them into vocational development pathways, the most pronounced of which I'd like to talk about at some point is our uh, food service manager's training, as an example. So it's a, so bringing it back, in is it's a mixture of Christian discipleship, residential Christian discipleship, recovery from life-controlling problems, and vocational development all wrapped together. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you do this one, and then you do this one, and then you do this one. You're going to spend part of your day in each, each one of those areas, and we treat each one of those areas as equally important. Can you um, uh, briefly just give us a give us a story of a client that has gone through this, though, so that people, our listeners, can kind of wrap their hands heads around what it looks like? Okay, uh, so one that comes to mind from homelessness to uh, tremendous success. Ah, let me tell you, I, 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 one. Why did you say one? Can I go two? Can I three? Uh, so, uh, actually, in this room just a minute ago was a young man who. Uh, basically, he actually migrated here from Florida years ago, uh, uh, homeless on the streets, in and out of jail, addiction, heroin addiction. Uh, you know, the governor's declared state of, you know, I mean, we've had some great success from people coming off of opiates and, and heroin addictions and recovery. Uh, so anyway, Jesse uh, is, uh, uh, came through it came again coming off the streets was released from jail walking by the mission uh, you know comes in uh, we build relationship with him 
he's only intending to stay a few days to, uh, you know, non-committal. I really just, you know, need some help getting my feedback on the ground. Then he kind of gets hooked, goes all the way through the program, goes to what uh, what we call servant leadership training, which is an attachment program where I'm really developing leadership skills and I'm learning. My life is not really all about me. It's about serving others. And then he's so hooked, he goes and says, I'm going to go through the whole one-year ministry training program. So he's actually, our whole continuum of care can be up to two years long. Hmm. So he goes through the ministry training program, which is another year. Uh, we're showing Brian Mueller around from Grand Canyon University. Uh, you know, we have a great relationship with GCU. And uh, he offers a scholarship to one of our graduates. He was so moved by seeing the transformation that was taking place. And so... Um, he just left it up to us to decide what the parameters were. So we had an essay contest. Uh, you had to be this, 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 and this. You had an essay contest. Jesse wins it. So Jesse is coming to the end of his ministry, was coming to the end of his ministry training program, wins the essay contest, is on a four-year four, four year full scholarship to Grand Canyon University, working on addiction counseling. He works for us. He's now that we're talking something that was two years ago. So he's like going into his junior year. He's got a 3.8. Nice. Wow. He works for us. He was in this room just now design, helping us to design another program to be more effective in interfacing with people coming out of crisis. And he feels that his life is called to help this type of work. Now, I ain't even told you the good part yet. How did he even get to us? So he goes, he ends up um, in front of uh, a, a peer support specialist who's actually working for another agency uh, who was a graduate of our program. She'd been a graduate for a couple of years. So Jesse ends up in front of her. She says, dude, you need to go to the mission and go through their program, right? Uh, so it goes through the program and all of that and the whole story that I just told you. She hears on the news about Jesse being awarded a scholarship with Grand Canyon. And says, that's the guy that I helped to get down there, all right? So um, she said, I'm going to go down and see that guy. Encourage him. So she comes down to see him, and of course, you're probably already thinking, what's the end of this story? So they hit it off real well. They started dating. They got married. And now Jackson is about two months old. So they've Yes. Been, that is so cool. So we're talking about a four-year clean graduate helps a uh, two-year, well, a, another a two-year at that time clean graduate helps a client get in the program who now he's like four, uh, three or three years or something like that. And she's like five years. And they've been married for over a year, and they just had their first son. That's a great story. So that's, that's well, and I would say that that is a great story, but that's one of many. Great. Homelessness to thriving and not living on government funds. Awesome. And none of that, by the way, costs the taxpayer anything, really. Well, that's something I was certainly curious about. Um, <coughs> we... Everybody wants the, the the magic bullet or the the pill that they can take, and it's going to make everything better. And it seems like from the little bit of research that I did in advance of our conversation today, there are concepts like housing first. Mm -hmm. where they say, we'll just get people in housing, and everything will take care of itself. Right. And 
intellectually, that certainly makes sense to me. But what you've been talking about makes a lot more sense where you bring somebody in and you analyze their personal situation and then get them the appropriate treatment. Right. How are you able to be nimble where maybe others it's I'm a hammer so I hit things? Yeah, so, well, let me just say again, let me go back to the point that healthy communities have a portfolio of solutions. Mm-hmm. So if we were the only thing, then we actually would be doing a lot of other different things that other providers are doing because the need would be there. But if other providers are doing that, then, you know, we can stay in our sweet spot and really. So housing first is, uh, you know, I mean, first of all, I mean, you know, for people to help people get into housing is a good thing. <laughs> um, I do think that, uh, you know, uh, housing first was really developed around a concept that uh, severely mentally ill individuals do not do well in a shelter environment. Duh, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I'm wondering how many billions of government dollars. Nah, I I'm, I'm on a podcast. I should not be saying that. <laughs> so, no, and, and I 100% agree with that. The, the, that's the solution to me. That is the most viable pathway for mentally ill people on the street is get them in the housing. Uh, because and then surround them in the housing with case management services and support them, help them to get stabilized, get the services that they need so that they can begin to function and, and hopefully at least have the quality of life that they can have. Uh, and then words like permanent supportive housing, which I think probably would more so apply to that particular population. Where I, dis, where I, where I break ranks from that, is when you superimpose a solution that has had success in a particular subsegment, you superimpose that to all of homelessness. And I, and I just would differ with a lot of my colleagues on that approach. Uh, I think that, uh, first of all, you know, and then uh, so there's philo- different philosophical approaches. Um, you understand that our, our mission statement is not ending homelessness. Our mission statement is providing Christ-centered, life-transforming solutions to persons facing hunger and homelessness. So we're really more so interested in the transformation of the person into experiencing the fullness of the quality of life that they can have. And thereby doing that, we're going to be putting major dents in homelessness and poverty and other things, right? So that goes back to the person-centered approach. And, you know, each person is his own person and assess each individual. So if my report card is about ending homelessness, the fastest way to end a homelessness for an individual is take a homeless individual and put them into a housing. Mm. Okay, then I have achieved my mission. Mm. But if my true mission is to end permanently end homelessness in society forever, you know, at some point I think that you have to question, is it appropriate for everybody and the fact that I have a homeless person that I placed into a housing situation, um, are they going to get healthy or are they going to become an essence a ward of the state support forever? Um, and, uh, so I, I say, look, if I look at an individual and I think that they have, well, I think they think, and I think, and I'm mutually, they can have a life without having to go down that pathway. And I've been doing this coming up on 30 years, and I've literally seen thousands and thousands of people 
that just needed to get clean and sober. They needed to be taught how to live life on life's terms. They needed a chance. They, they didn't ever have a really formative uh, development and training on how to be victorious in life. And I've seen them go through the program, go get an apartment, go buy a house, have families, and, you know, prosper and thrive. And, and, and I think that's a better quality of life. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't want to rob somebody of that pathway. I, I want to say, you know, if, if we can go that way, let's go that way. And now, don't get me wrong. Uh, let me come back to here. Um, particularly with women. I mean, uh, we have one of our staff members here that actually runs our rep unit. She's got five years clean as a graduate of this program. One of our first graduates here in Sierra. She's got four children. So, okay, I go through the program. I develop vocational skills. I recover from life controlling problems and Christian discipleship. And I graduate, but I still have four children. You know, now we have a licensed child care facility here, so we're able to accommodate that and really help her children to deal with their issues and get well. But, yeah, she needed supports for a while. Um, she needed to be in subsidized housing. And, and so, to me, those um, social supports, which are things that you need while you're going through a process, I think we're vitally important. Mm-hmm. So I'm not disrespecting any of that. I'm just saying that that should not be the end. That should be a means to an end. So Sierra now is free. She, you know, has her own place and is doing well. And one of her child children is right down the street in elementary school. Actually, three of them are. I, I think. see. I might be saying something wrong, so I better be quiet. On that. <laughs> I think she has three in Capital Elementary and one is uh, older. Well. We may have already been touching on this, but talking about Phoenix, Arizona, what, what are the unique issues that, that, that you deal with here versus other markets, other cities? Heat. Yeah, it's hot out here. It's, you know, do you notice that it's hot outside? <laughs> Turns out. <laughs> Turns out. So look, I'm from Georgia, right? And, you know, so 95 and you're soaking wet with sweat and, you know, the humidity. And then I get on the plane and I land in Phoenix and it's 115. And so how do you like your chicken? You like it baked? Or, you know, <laughs> and, 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 but they're both very uncomfortable. But I think in this market, uh, back east, uh, well, particularly Georgia, you know, even in Atlanta area, I mean, you know, people could die on the streets, so, you know, sure. freezing to death in the winter. And so we had really had a, a focus on, uh, you know, when, when the temperature dropped below 36 degrees, we went to emergency mode. Uh, you know, our street outreaches had blankets and, you know, kids were bringing people back into the shelter that had earlier decided they were going to sleep on the streets. And here it's like, we've got a campaign, it's called Code Red. And it's a summer heat relief effort. And because people die on the streets and that's Mm -hmm. not just people on the streets, that's the elderly, that's the shut-ins. So basically we have a huge campaign uh, and I think we will hit somewhere around one and a half million bottles of water this year uh, that we are, have gone out to uh, keep people on the street hydrated, keep people that uh, uh, elderly shut-ins, whatever. So I, I, I know for a fact, because we've been in situations where first responders were right there, or we actually even called them, uh, where lives were physically saved. Uh, in a couple of instances, even one this year, where the person would have been dead because they, I mean, they were literally going out. 
and so, you know, I think that heat is huge. So usually you kind of, you know, especially when you get the snowbirds and they leave for the summer and everybody thinks, you know, things die down. Well, it doesn't die down for us. No. Uh, it actually picks up with a whole different brand of ministry that we, mm-hmm. uh, a special added ministry that we do during the warmer months. So to piggyback on George's question, yep. I know that um, Phoenix has its unique issues, but it's yeah. also uh, one of the few cities that's had this collective impact model where different agencies, public-private partnerships have come, and Phoenix is now kind of the exemplar nationally in how to deal with homeless populations. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think that Phoenix is, you know, because I think the leadership uh, in uh, you know, from the state level, from the, the county level, the city city's level, not just the city of Phoenix, though I do certainly believe the city of Phoenix is, um, you know, is, is, you know, not in denial that there's a problem <laughs> and pretending that maybe it'll go away, that, you know, there, there's action being taken to, uh, to address the problem, be creative in the solutions. We are a part of the MAG continuum of care. Um, and uh, uh, so, um, you know, I, th- I think that there has been a willingness uh, in, the, in, in this market to think outside the box, to be innovative and creative. What I particularly love about what we're doing lately is our street outreach. Um, you know, and we're in the thick of that. We have our, uh, what we call our Hope, Hope Coach Ministry, but we have a street outreach ministry. We have teams that go out. We partner with Community Bridges, uh, the crisis units that go out, encounter homeless individuals on the streets. Uh, and, uh, you know, so we're rescuing a lot of people that the public probably doesn't have a clue that we're doing. And a lot of them are actually, and we've seen a really big increase in the number of people that we're actually bringing back from the streets to get engaged in our services. Hmm. To me, that's a touchdown. I mean, you know, it's not just a matter of doing some sort of, here's a bottle of water on the street, but uh, Chaplain Cliff, our street outreach chaplain, he knows most of them by their first name out there. And, you know, so, you know, sometimes it's that many, many, many trips to know Sally uh, and uh, until Sally finally trusts you enough to take that step. So we've had people that we've, had multiple engagements on the streets that ultimately get on the Hope Coach, come back here and go through this program, and then have a life. Um, and again, I could tell you stories about that. Uh, it happens every day. Awesome. <clears throat> you said that you wanted to talk about your food service management training. Yes. I assume to a degree that that plays in or works into your your new cafe or your new restaurant that's opening up. That's correct. Tell us a little bit about that, please. So um, the history with that is uh, when you are running operations like this, you and you don't usually receive government funding or very little government funding uh, because you're a faith-based organization, you're going to hold fast to that perspective. Um, you have to be very creative in how you're going to fund what you do. So we're always thinking entrepreneurially, one plus one equals five, you know, how are we going to do this? And so, you know, we're a huge food service operation. I mean, my goodness, we feed a lot of people every day, our own clients. That's a lot of people to take care of. Well, our ladies in our recovery program here need to learn how to 
prepare and deliver food. So that was kind of the birth of it. it was thinking, well, you know, one plus one equal two is you feed people because they're your responsibility to feed them. But then, you know, so well, really they need to learn how to do it themselves. And then we, and we started thinking about what are some industries that we can actually create so that we can use that to help teach entrepreneurial skills and thinking outside of the box. Because I think the main thing we're trying to instill is you can be whatever you want to be. You know, I mean, you you don't just have to go get a job. I mean, you might open a business. So we want them to thinking freely and thinking beyond the limitations of what they can see. So anyway, we I've long I've been a, I'm a social enterprise guy. Uh, like I said, I've been doing this for 30 years, and back in Atlanta, uh, had the di- different kind of industries in, in the program model. Uh, we we are automobile dealership at one point by reconditioning cars and selling them. <laughs> Guys were learning skills. We were appliance repair operation. We actually made furniture and sold it. So here, we kind of landed on something that. Uh, the food service manager's training is we recognize that where are you at during the Valley of the Sun? Very big service industry area. Food service is huge. Uh, hospitality industry is huge. Yeah. So how can we, it, it, and so we did research in the marketplace to determine, first of all, we've got to get people up to a sustainable wage rate job. So it's not going to do any good if you go through this glorified culinary thing and you're qualified to flip burgers when you're done. So we said, we got to get them up to at least an assistant manager level. Okay, so if we are producing people that are able to enter into the hospitality industry, food service, at an assistant manager, their wage rate should put them above the poverty level. That's our homework. Uh, So we laid it out and started doing it. Uh, We started with Mission Cookies, Mission Possible Cookies. And you can go to Mission Possible, uh, giftcookies.com. Give cookies? Gift giftcookiesgiftcookies.com you can go to missionpossiblecookies.org same website or you can go to phoenixrescuemission.org and it links it right over but basically uh, if I walked you over to our restaurant you would see a cookie factory and basically we are taking orders we're shipping cookies all over the United States Uh, a business who can say thank you a realtor can say thank you to somebody who bought a house Call, uh, put an order in through the website. We shipped them a cookie. So basically, it's that's great. It's a gift cookie operation, um, and so they're over there learning. Yeah. So the the least that they're learning is how to bake cookies. Mm-hmm. It's really not about that. It's learning how to think different. Shipping. Uh, it so there's a customer service. There's a website. There's filling orders. There's you know the the, the whole aspect. So we went from cookies to catering. And catering hasn't gone big yet because we knew that we were going to go to cafe. Uh, we were blessed in 2015 with an opportunity to buy Oaxaca Restaurant. Oh. Oaxaca Restaurant uh, is, uh, right now we're sitting at th- uh, 338 North 15th Avenue. Uh, so we're about 100 yards up of 15th Avenue from Van Buren. And just south of us, between us and Van Buren, is Oaxaca Restaurant. Oaxaca Restaurant is now Mission Possible Cafe. And we're going to launch on October the 2nd. It's a breakfast and lunch menu. It's fast casual, southwestern, with a Mexican grill. And I was able to sample some of the wares about an hour before you guys got here. Because uh, we are full speed now getting ready to open this restaurant on October the 2nd. It is a full restaurant. It's, it's, it's a training restaurant. 
uh, for people that are in a food service manager training. It's a training restaurant, but there's actually full-time employees that are going to be serving as coaches to help. But uh, basically, uh, yeah, it's breakfast and lunch, uh, 6.30 to 2.30, 7 to 2.30. We're really focused on the capital because that's right there. So we want everybody in the capital. Can they hear me? We want everybody in the capital to come get your breakfast burrito or your breakfast pastries, your espresso, whatever, on your way into work uh, and get. And then you come over and have a little meeting, a mid-morning snack, or, you know, come over for lunch. And, uh, and you're not only getting good food, good service, but you're also helping to support our cause uh, of, of training up uh, clients in our program to to for entry-level positions in food service. It's a comprehensive training. It is not just a, a culinary thing. They go through five phases. Uh, well, actually, there's three official phases, but they go through, there's, they become serve, they go through serve safe managers training, so they have a manager's card. Uh, food prep, that we do some of the business side of it. Then they actually do, inter, uh, they, they go through our servant leadership training program, which is leadership development, management, principles, then they, uh, while they're doing actually on-the-job training over in different stations in the restaurant, so it's a comprehensive training. I would put up against just about anybody, uh, and it's our. And frankly, we haven't even started the restaurant yet, but we we've had this training going uh, without the restaurant, just using our existing food service, and we've got many people placed as assistant manager or even manager positions in in the valley in food service operations right now. So it's been very successful. So, um, if there's a nonprofit, both local or nationally, listening, what what advice would you get about would you give about starting a social enterprise within a, a nonprofit organization? It's not easy. So, what is? Well, I will. I think I can answer that a whole lot better in a year from right. now because right, right. I'm in I'm in the middle <laughs> right of it. Right in the thick of it. Uh, you know, I just first of all, I think the rule number one: what are you doing and why. Um, our model, our social enterprise, we, there's three things that it has to go through. Number one, you know, is, is this good quality training for our clients that is actually going to translate into sustainable wage rate jobs? All right. In other words, if it's just a fundraising opportunity for the organization and, you know, and there's no, tra- then what are you doing? Just go do something else. Uh, so we want to. What we want to do is make sure that any industry or enterprise that we enter is actually benefiting the clients by training and advancing them, so that uh, so that they can improve either uh, obtain work or further in their in their work. Secondly, it has to be program friendly. Uh, I cannot become a widget factory because the clients are in groups, they're in classes, they're you know what I mean. They have childcare, they're in parenting classes. I mean, so truthfully, they're only in these work therapy and training positions for half the day because the other half of the day they're in counseling and groups and other things. So, you know, you, you really want to consider industries or enterprises that don't uh, conflict with your main delivery mm. or who you really are. That's a good point. And then third, leadership. Mm. I mean, that's my big thing is if, if, if a system doesn't produce leadership, I think it's flawed. Um, you know, uh, and I don't know that this is a uh, brand new management principle, but all the books and stuff and leadership and everything I've read, if you're, if you're not mentoring or producing disciples, producing other leaders, then I think there's a whole element that's missing. 
And so we incorporate this both the servant leadership program and our ministry training program right into that. Because truthfully, we want to not just raise up workers to go into the field. We want to produce leadership for the industry. <coughs> so we want to produce leadership that we can even hire to fuel our own expansion, mm-hmm. uh, but also for placement to reproduce. There is so many wounded and hurting people out there. And I could build 10 more of these, and it would put a bigger dent in a problem. But the problem is it's, it's, a, it's a tsunami. It's huge. And uh, so we've got to train up workers that are going to think like we do to go out and start programs like this all over the place. Um, and so that's in our DNA. Uh, so it's got to be vocational development. Uh, it's got to be in the best interest of the client. If it's just a business, hire it over here on the side, pay somebody to do it, and let them give you some money, whatever. I don't know. But it's not pure, to me, that's not pure social enterprise if you're doing that. Uh, it's got to uh, fit with what you are. It's got to be mainstream and, and fit right into your programmatic delivery, and it's got to produce leadership. So look into the future, a year from now, two years from now, when the restaurant is very successful, how many folks are now going through this program and coming out the other end as a capable assistant manager on an annual basis? I think we would, uh, you know, so... Just remember now, I'm not sure as whether this is a reproducible model or a one-time thing just associated with this particular program because of the close geographic proximity. You can bet you my mind has gone way down the road of chains of Mission Possible cafes all <laughs> yes. over the North America. <laughs> but let me just bring it back and say that, you know, I, I would say that this, this program would easily produce 20 assistant manager level people. Because there's there's different get uh, jump off points. Uh, there's there's phase one, phase two, and phase three. Uh, phase one is I grab I finished the basic program, and so you just did the basics. So we're going to help you try to get a job in food. We're not promising you any assistant manager thing. But if I go the next five months and I go all the way through the servant leadership, then you should be able to get an assistant manager placement. And frankly, if I go through the third phase, which is actually, we actually, our third phase, we actually hire them ourselves mm. full time with benefits, but it's a six, four to six month internship. So these are the ones that are going to be training the rest of the leadership development. So I'm really going to have two full time people that are going to be managing a training system that is a pipeline that just keeps producing people. So I would say the first year 20. Uh, and I'm not kidding about this idea about if it works well, what is it? You know, I want to be all, I want to be thinking about, because folks, we've got to, we've got to think, uh, I mean, uh, there's huge problems. And so I'm trying to think on a higher level than I've ever thought before of how can I do systematic, impactful things that are not just little market niche things. Um, so I'm two or three social enterprises down the road in my head, so I'm going to just hold on to those for now. But uh, uh, yeah, it's going to produce. I mean, but, but again, also understand that the food service is the only the first one. Um, we're looking at the call center potential. We're looking, certainly looking at 
there's other aspects to the hospitality industry. Um, so there's, there's other vocational development programs that we're going we're looking at producing. So let me, a current thought that's in my head is because I, every time I open a paper, I mean, read, open, open my phone and read the paper, uh, <laughs> you know, there's always needs of, uh, you know, call center, call center, call it in this huge in the Valley. And I, I'm sure that, uh, you know, everybody's needing more well, customer services. If you are good at customer service, if you're really good at customer service, I think you got a future. Yeah, that's you know true. I mean? So what if we had the best customer service training inside of a vocational development program, inside of a recovery program, in, you know what I mean? So that, uh, now, how good would we be at answering our phone? How good would we be on responding to website inquiries, whatever? So to me, that's something that's like, if we want to go to world-class customer service ourselves as an organization, meaning that some pastors looking for placement for some lady in Apache Junction, you know, two o'clock this morning because they're in crisis. You know, I mean, can we provide excellent customer service and assist that pastor to meet the need? You know, that's just going to benefit us, you know, tremendously. So I really am kind of really zeroing in on this, this, this customer service piece. Um, because I think if our whole organization, even our own reception function, was a training program for our own clients, they don't have to drive anywhere. I can keep them home. Right. I know where they are. You know, but I just think so. I'm kind of landing there right now. Is is I'm I'm studying that one. We studied, we studied the food service for two years before we we launched. Because I again, I have all these vocational programs and at the end of the day when they're done what do you have you know i wanted to and truthfully uh, you know i looked at culinary versus managers training and a lot of because culinary is such a big word it's, it's such a wide i mean you literally can't go through some culinary trainings and at the end of the day you, you might not be able to get a good job placement but if you got that manager's training you know that pretty much that's what our homework uh uh came conclusion came to was that if you get if you're if you got that management skill training in there that's sought after because there's so much turnover and if we can bring stability something to a uh, minister into an area where there's a ton of turnover you know that's our niche awesome yeah i think that that it seems to make sense in my mind so well <laughs> yeah but then there's a, a I, I can show you my big field back there that's got a big old pile of ideas that i've had before too so sure <laughs> right <laughs> All right, Jay, how can, how can people get involved? If they are civic-minded people, they want yep. to make Phoenix a better place and they view homelessness as a problem, mm. what, what can somebody do to get involved? I think the best answer for that is go to our website because uh, I, I couldn't even do it justice to say what our website does really well. Uh, you know, um, uh, phoenixrescuemission.org or the old way, www.phoenixrescuemission.org. Um, and it talks about how you can get, how you can give to support an organization in multiple levels, uh, how you can get engaged in volunteering. Um, and so the standard answer is a good answer is how can you help us? How can you get engaged with us? Number one, pray because I, we are a Christian organization and we certainly believe in the power of prayer and we don't cheapen that by just a slogan. 
you know, if you want to make the greatest impact, get on your knees and be, be and pray for us. Uh, and uh, secondly, I would say, uh, if you're not actively engaged in service in your community, if you're not actively engaged in volunteering somewhere, whether it's your local church or whatever, you are not experiencing life to the fullest. <clears throat> And whether it's with Phoenix Rescue Mission or with someone else. And, you know, the, the really cool thing about us is it doesn't cost you hardly any time, uh, energy or whatever, to come down and help us serve a meal to the homeless. It doesn't take much time to help you come down and do just some basic. And oftentimes somebody will finally get up the nerve to take that one step for that just basic service opportunity. Right. And find out how easy it was mm-hmm. and how exciting it is. Mm-hmm. They've gone through the danger zone, right? Right. And uh, so, so if you look at our website, there's all kind of different opportunities for you to get engaged in volunteering. And uh, so, I want to say that with the loudest voice uh, is 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 taste us, come volunteer. Uh, volunteer opportunities are everything from just one basic service to we literally have full-time people that are working with us as volunteers. We have a counselor that's not on our payroll. That's just a volunteer because they, they're able to do that financially. They just love us to death. We have people that teach financial classes, GED. Uh, we're look, we need to develop English as a second language. I mean, there's so many things that we need to do. We need mentors. We need tutors. Uh, we need people to help us at our food bank operation that we're starting. We just acquired Hope for Hunger Food Bank in Glendale. We actually start that Friday. Uh, and uh, Ready so, or not. Yeah, ready or not. So we have a lot of opportunities for people to get engaged. So pray, give, volunteer, and I think those are the big ones. Uh, we are more than happy to provide anyone with a tour. There's a tour schedule there on the website. Somebody could come down just to get a tour. Uh, see, but again, let me go back to the point. If you're not pouring out into the lives of other people, then I almost feel sorry for you because you're not experiencing the quality of life. Uh, you know, you got to give it away. You got to give, you got to give your time, talent, and treasure. Uh, you know, and uh, we are a firm believer that, uh, you know, you know, you know, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that's not talking about just money. That's talking about your, your life. So please get engaged. There's a multitude of problems out here that uh, we need people to, uh, to get in the game. I couldn't agree with that anymore. It, I know that I, I've got an 11-month-old at home. And as soon as he's able to, to actively come and volunteer, we're certainly going to do that. Is there an age where you say... James is not going to be worthwhile because he's too young. I'd say eleven months. So no, <laughs> we we actually again that's all on the website. Okay, uh, but uh, with, with you know there's there's certain things that with mom and dad with them. I mean, basically, we don't want volunteers that are uh, minors or sort. I think it's sixteen years old or under without their parental supervision. Obviously, we get you know mm-hmm. this is a world where you got liability and all that stuff and. Mm-hmm. So we got to have some sense with that, but we do have, uh, uh, there's, there's things so like when we have a, a large community outreach event, we had back to school, we gave out backpacks and school supplies in Murphy school district. 
And there was a ton of moms and dads with their whole families there. Great. The little kids running around giving other little kids backpacks. And so, so there's, there's ways to, to get engaged. Okay. So, Tari, what have we forgotten to talk about? Answered all my questions. Thanks for being here. <laughs> Sir, what else would you like to share? Well, I would say that, you know, that we are um, in, in 2011, we were a, uh, we had about a uh, 100 bed, 90 bed shelter down below Buckeye on 35th Avenue. And the Phoenix Rescue Mission was, has been serving in the Valley since 1952. Uh, and it was a huge move to go from just having a shelter and a 30 bed recovery program down there to building this place that you all are in today, the Changing Life Center for Women and Children. Uh, so, you know, six, six years later, we increased our capacity. We've added 120 beds on the men's side for recovery. Then we got this 200 bed facility here. Uh, we are going through the process right now of finalizing an expansion project for our men's recovery. So we're looking at increasing the capacity for that by a large number. Uh, we uh, are starting our restaurant on October 2nd. So I know you're hungry out there. Come and eat. Yes. Uh, and uh, we have the food bank. Uh, so we are beginning to grow and expand. We are out in neighborhoods with our street outreach uh, throughout the valley, West Valley, East Valley, South Valley, North Valley. Uh, we have special partners that, partnerships that we just developed with the city of Glendale. So uh, we're growing, we're expanding, and uh, it's, it's just an exciting time. I really don't see, I, I just see nothing but upside, uh, nothing but growth, uh, and uh, I've never been more excited than I am right now. You know, uh, I'm just, I love this. I love to see lives transformed. And uh, we actually get to do that every day. And don't tell anybody, but we even get paid for it. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Jay, thank, thank you so much for your time. Mm-hmm. Thanks, as always, for listening. Um, if you like what you've heard, please subscribe to the show. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. Also, feel free to give us a share on social media. And as always, keep questioning because the struggle is real.